almost two years now. And uh, it's really changed my life. Since I arrived here with, with my wife uh, almost two years ago, and uh, I'm, I'm very new to the ground, the soil, the planting, the working in the, in the land. It's been rough. <laughs> yeah, but I've learned so much, and a lot of that uh, has really nurtured me and helped me process a lot of, 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 of my life path. So, in that sense, I feel like the, the soil is really a medicine in this way. Um, they invited me to, to sing a little bit for you, so I'm going to sing a couple songs. And uh, they're in Spanish. So whoever doesn't speak Spanish, you can just feel the, the vibration, that's mm -hmm. what counts.
sapito que me canta dulcemente al oído ese sapito que me canta dulcemente al oído Cuando empiece tu camino Dime cariño si vas a estar Cuando empiece tu camino called sapito which means like little toad or like frog because once I I was speaking to this frog in a river this frog started like doing its thing and it was really like touching my heart it was like every single like and I thought wow I also have this you know where a frog in a river when it when it does its thing it does ripples all around in circle. It's like a ripple effect. I'm like, wow, I have the same thing when I speak. I don't just speak this way, but I'm speaking in every direction and I'm rippling around everyone. So it's, it's nice to have that in mind. And uh, this next song is called Sana Corazon, which means to heal the heart. And it's a song that speaks about this feeling of not being good enough, which I don't know if anyone has here. <laughs> you all good? <laughs> well, that's, that's what it tries to heal. Que yo guardo el mismo sabor 
Zach, and I am blessed to be on Ibiza for the first time, and I was, am extremely blessed to be traveling with my daughter, who is one of the most amazing beings on the planet. Uh, this is Alyssa, and I am equally blessed to be here with the indelible Jess Abbas, who is the executive director for Farmers Footprint UK. And we're here largely on a listening tour, which is how this whole Farmer's Footprint thing has evolved over time, is uh, realizing that uh, humanity, when we set out, uh, was expressing something, and we got to start to see it, uh, because we were in this bizarre intersection between the explosion of chronic disease in the United States over the last 30 years and the explosion of chemical agriculture over that same period of time, and my research just happened to kind of come up the center of those two spaces as I was developing chemotherapy at the University of Virginia, 2005, 2010 kind of time frame. And by the time I left university in 2010, I'd been in that academic higher education environment for 17 years and it had become so much my world that uh, it, it would be impossible for me to have imagined at that point that I would someday be asked to sit on a straw bale in the middle of Ibiza, <laughs> surrounded by 200 of the most beautiful gardeners in the world, hippies, 
witches, bizarre things, and I just didn't see that career path unfolding. And uh, neither my mentors, my dean, or God told me this is what was going to happen. So it makes me think that uh, the universe loves surprise, and uh, I'm surprised to be with so many beautiful beings, uh, because uh, as a human, I was born into a long uh, genetic le legacy of believing that I didn't deserve anything. And so uh, when I look out here, it makes me realize, wow, I must be really deserving of beauty because I've been surrounded by it. And I hope that each of you are finding moments in your day where you're just overwhelmed with that same realization of, oh my God, I live on this island. <laughs> and I am surrounded by such beautiful people. And when I look around and I try to imagine what I'm going to tell people back in the two-dimensional world of the United States of America where I found <laughs> everything, it's going to be like Spongebob trying to explain the bottom of the ocean to the, to the terrestrial people or something. And I'm going to explain to them that it's the most beautiful people in the world, but fortunately they have developed some sort of hedonistic society that allows for that level of beauty to tolerate itself. <laughs> Because you guys really are a unique bunch, and um, I, I have really been blessed to see such a broad spectrum of the islands in such a short period of time, both environmentally, the number of ecosystems you, you guys enjoy on this island are truly unbelievable, but I would say the energetics of this island demonstrate something of the extreme capacity of this planet to present completely different energies every 50 feet or so. And uh, the, the world has pockets like this, and I, I'm blessed to have been born in one of these called Boulder, Colorado. And many of you were probably conceived in Boulder, <laughs> and maybe not knowing it, but this little hippie enclave in the middle of the United States um, has spawned something similar to what Ibiza has, has spawned in the last 40 years, uh, which is a revolution of, of being. And so I was asked by Jess to give a little bit of color to how Farmer's Footprint came to be and, and why we're here. Uh, and so I'll do that at the risk of probably repeating stuff that you all already know, but I'll do it just to ground us a little bit into uh, what the opportunity is here to be together because ultimately we're here to begin a, a conversation. And I have found that the best conversations begin with good hugs. And then that good hug can be that catalyst of opening a heart. And when that heart opens, the amount of information that can come through that space has really never been measured before. Uh, cosmically, I think it's, it's the, the beacon that stands on this planet. It is why we are seen from so far away, is because there's so much information that can come through a hard space. And so when we look at technology on the planet right now, there's no way that there's anything more powerful than this, this technology that you hold within your chest. And we are just starting to crack the code on the science around, you know, how relevant this, this machine is that, that you live within and how living and dynamic that machine is and how it is capable of things never seen before, that we are capable of a new humanity. And you all are feeling that, and that's why many of you have come back for maybe third night in a row um, to, to talk about that together. And so we're going to do that. But before I dive in a little bit with Farmer's Footprint, um, I'm so inspired by this space. I mean, nature has literally, for the last, probably I would estimate that we're probably looking around 250 million year old process of this cathedral forming. 
And so you are now standing beneath the roots of trees. You're standing 40 feet beneath trees. You're in the mycelial network in this little cathedral. And this is the energy from left to right here. This is the energy of Earth speaking through us now. And so this cathedral was built as a macrocosm of what has been now recognized as, as the most diverse communication network in the world, which is the human colon that holds more biodiversity per cubic centimeter than any, any place else. Any other colon in any other animal doesn't compare to the human colon. And in the same way, Earth has created spaces where more information can pour into that specific space than, than other places around the world. And so this macrocosm of a human colon that you're sitting within would suggest that we are the shit. <laughs> Which I've been waiting to be since I was a pretty young kid. I always felt like I was missing the boat or the train or whatever vehicle I was supposed to be getting on to be the shit. And here I am in the colon of an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And it's feeling pretty good. It's feeling pretty good to be with you. All right. Um, so let's ground it in a little bit. Um, just a prayer, a meditation, whatever we're going to do together. Um, but just come to be uh, aware of you, uh, aware of your vessel that you have been gifted. It is beautiful. I have seen it. I will tell others of your beauty. But feel it. Feel what it feels like. Wiggle your toes. That's one of the most important ways for me to meditate is wiggle my toes because I suddenly realize how little I am aware of my body. Those long forgotten toes down there. Wiggle your toes. Give gratitude to those toes that have carried you so far, guided your steps, pushing your path. Let's take a couple of deep breaths that start with a breath out, blow all your air out. Breathe in. And out. <coughs> Trees that stand around, we ask you to join us in conversation tonight. Clouds up above, we ask you to put a ceiling on this cathedral that would complete the echo chamber such that the beauty that comes emanating out of these hearts tonight would be bounced around in here in this space until every cell in this room that Earth has created, until every human cell, every microbe has been reset to its original math, to the original intent, until the 400 generations of trauma carried in the epigenetics of these people here has been erased. Let the love bombard the history, the memory of the pain, the trauma, and all the stories that have come out of that pain. Soil under our feet. You are so humble. You are so kind. You are so full of grace. We have reverence that that soil extends from beneath our feet 
into the soils of our bodies. We're overwhelmed with the realization of how vast this ecosystem is that lies within us. And we can bring attention to the root systems within our gut, within our skin, within our very being, the root systems within you. Sense them tapping in to this infinite wisdom of the soil within you and around you. Wiggle your toes again and grow some roots down into the earth below you. Trees reach out from the sides of this beautiful cathedral here. Reach out and touch our hearts right now. Let your roots talk to us. May we make ourselves available to nutrify you as you have so nutrified us. This is a group of people that have made lifestyles out of seeking the beauty of nature, worshiping and being reverent to that nature and the beauty within it, learning from it, examining it, listening to it. This is a group that knows nature perhaps better than any other group of 200 people on this planet teeming with distracted beings. we're realizing suddenly that that is not a relationship. A relationship is never one person that comes in and just sits and gazes in awe of the other person. That person has to be willing to receive from the other as well. And I venture to say that many here are similar to me and that I didn't realize that I was being called into relationship with you on that level. And so for all of the speaking and observations I've made into your beauty under microscopes or telescopes and beyond, I forgot to let you see my beauty. And so all of us tonight have the opportunity to open ourselves up to you, trees, to you, sky, to you, crickets. We're willing to be seen. We've now been told that if we are seen, every electron changes direction. The observer effect of quantum physics. When any material is seen, every electron switches direction. The fabric of the universe takes a 180. We keep going the same direction, even when we see the beauty, even when we see the devastation of the collective human behavior, because we aren't willing to be seen and therefore go a different direction. And so there's an invitation tonight for as things unfold tonight, to lay yourself out <coughs> in front of these trees, in front of these crystal walls, and let them see you. Let this earth see you. You are the child that this earth has been striving to support and nurture into existence for a brief four billion years. You're so deeply loved. But a child who is deeply loved but believes itself to be separate from its family and estranged grows to a loneliness where the love of that family cannot reach that child and they will die in substance abuse, suicide, depression, if we do not let our ourselves be seen by nature now, we may not have the opportunity to stay in play. And so we need a different tact on this whole climate crisis. Humans need to save the planet modality and realize that a mother is simply 
calling her lost child back to the home and asking it to just lay down, sleep, and wake up to a home-cooked meal. To be loved, to realize there's abundance in the heart of everyone towards that child. stories that, that so parallel mine that I'm convinced that all of us in, in humanity have been asked to go through one of the most radical surrender experiments in all time and surrender so much of ourselves and our belief systems, our value systems, our, surrender our fears and our guilt and our shame ultimately to become this group right now. And I think we're reaching a lovely moment when there's nothing left to surrender. And transformation still remains incomplete. And it's in this being seen by nature part that will complete that process. The best regenerative farmers that I've worked around are telling me over and over again that a regenerative farmer becomes truly a master of their trade when they find themselves laying in a hammock for the first time on their farm. When they find themselves laying in that hammock in the morning watching the sun rise and listening to the sound of the birds come out of the fields. And they usually cry realizing how long it took them to lay down in the hammock. And then the farm really starts to thrive around them and their business thrives and people are magnetized to come out to the farm, see what they're doing and all the rest. So it's this bizarre dance between being the ingenious, productive, industrious, creative, curious beings that you are and the willingness to be seen and sit still. That is the dance of being human and the complete transformation that we're all stepping into together in this next few years is going to require a lot of that stillness. And that stillness is so against our belief systems, against our value systems of ourselves. We think ourselves to be useless if we're not doing and creating and building and digging and pushing. That humanity had a call into its journey, chronic fatigue syndromes, chronic pain syndromes, chronic allergies, chronic autoimmune disease, chronic viral conditions, chronic cancers, 
We had to create this in this last chapter of the old humanity so that we would stop long enough to realize that there is a completely different way to go. And so that many of the health journeys that brought you guys to this island were your most genius mechanism of finding your path. And so immediately start encouraging everybody around you who is on one of those health paths, who feels so confused after a lifetime of living healthier than everybody else around them, eating great food, thinking great thoughts as much as possible, doing the self-work, doing the workshops, doing the spiritual development, and they find themselves in a state of utter exhaustion, utter fatigue, utter collapse, depression, whatever it is, diagnoses of autoimmunity or cancer, whatever's come their way, encourage them at that moment, oh my gosh, this is so, this is your higher self finally calling you to the final act of the old self. And it is exhausting to be the old self, and it takes so much energy to maintain the repair in the old self. And in my last 13 years of being a doctor, I got to see again and again that once the disease and the wound is embraced as the most high expression of that miraculous self that sits in front of you, that's within you, this disease is the highest expression of termination of the old ways, of the old self. And it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It just means that you are willing to do the next thing. And that begins with rest. And that begins with a recollection that you were before the body and you will be after this body. And you are deeply loved because that is the vibration that happens when beauty is seen. I've been trying to shake this feeling that's inside of me right this minute at a very high pitch for weeks now. And uh, it was ignited inside of me decades ago and it's kind of been burning and growing and then it just went bonkers off the rails on inside of my belly and lower chest. And I was in South France doing this Mary Magdalene pilgrimage a few weeks ago and uh, I came face to face with what I can only describe as the deepest grief that any being uh, in the universe, cosmos at large, has ever felt. And when I'm sitting here with you guys and we're going through this thought process together, where we're focusing into this opportunity as humanity, this feeling is growing inside of me, this deep grief. something to do with 
the heart darkness that we have been willing to receive as humans. That heart darkness occurs when we believe ourselves and then live generationally in the belief that we are separate from nature, which is to say separate from God. And the darkness that rises in that species is all-encompassing. And we're willing to do that because we're willing to do the forgiveness of that heart and love the darkness in our own hearts ultimately, realizing it is the result of our willingness to be separate from God and nature long enough so that in far enough away that we can actually see it uniquely. You are all of your beauty all the time. But until you step away from the experience of being inside your body to that experience of almost being outside your body when you look at a mirror and suddenly you're five feet from yourself and you're looking back at yourself and then you, you can make the conclusion that there's beauty there. It need, you needed the five feet away from yourself to find out that you were beautiful, to find out what you even looked like. And so it makes a lot of sense that at some point a species would come along that was willing to feel and experience and in fact embody the heart of darkness because it was so eager to become the thing, the, the beings that could see the beauty. But the agreement we had to step into to become that thing separate from the divine, from nature itself, so that we could see its beauty. The agreement was, you're going to have to believe that you are separate. And you're going to have to believe this at a deep, deep cellular, subconscious level, at an energetic level. You're going to have to, to believe this experience. And so we were given five senses that would dominate our neurology. And the five senses would betray the reality of our connection to everything. And it would give us a perception that we are separate from everything. So that we would be five feet away. So we would be far enough away from the tree, from the rock, from the crystal in our hand, from the sunset on the horizon to see its beauty. I think what I'm feeling in me is being relieved by being able to tell you that that the heart of, of darkness that is within you that torches all of us at moments in a day or in the middle of the night, whatever, and does it in very small ways or really big ways, insecurities, doubts, whatever it is, but also really dark thoughts for dark memories about our own traumas, our own lives, others' traumas, others' lives. And then we watch, you know, the stories unfolding around us in humanity and the heartbreak is so deep and thorough. So that's some of my experience that I was asked to digest and just do a meditation and ground everybody in, and then it turns into something like that rambling thing that just happened. <laughs> but uh, the feeling in my belly is, again, coming from that realization of, that we hold the heart of darkness and we're being called to forgive it and love it into its full light. Because if we can do that, we will see the fabric of the universe, which is entirely darkness. The universe is a vacuum void of light. And there's these pinpricks of light all over the universe that we call suns that come filtering back to our eyes that would give us the Milky Way. And I'm intrigued by the fact that without the darkness, you would not be able to see the stars. And the Kogi people have an incredible word, Sai, S-A-I, 
That means the darkness that arrived so that we could see the moon. And it's a very holy word. And so that's, I think, ultimately what the universe is saying is we see the darkness within you, humankind. We see the darkness that eats you alive, that's literally rotting you out from the inside right now. And it's bringing not only your species, but your entire planet to its knees right now. That heart of darkness we can see. And we celebrate it because the darkness is exactly where all of the energy of the universe lies. And when, if you, as humans, have been willing to step away, willing to take the distance so that you can see the beauty, you will vibrate in that frequency of love, and we can see all of the darkness and see the beauty within it, the design of all of the beauty within it. You will transmute the entire universe for its darkness, for your forgiveness, for your imagination, for your creation, for your light, that you pour out in here. Farmer's Footprint was a journey of crisis for me, leaving a medical community behind in 2010 that I had been deeply entrenched in and, and was all my colleagues, all my friends, went out, didn't know anybody in rural Virginia where I started my clinic. And <clears throat> Farmer's Footprint would be another one of those moments of crisis where I thought I had built another body of knowledge that with other colleagues around the food thing, and I thought it was a vegan message, and I listened to Colin Campbell and Gabe Merkin and all these guys from the 1970s and 80s, and then people like uh, Neil Barnard and all these guys in the 1990s that furthered the information of the power of a plant-based diet, and so I started a plant-based vegan clinic, and in that journey I started to see people get cured of disease very, very quickly on a plant-based diet, and I got to see people accelerate their disease on a plant-based diet. And after two years of that, and realizing that the people weren't lying, they were actually both applying the same diet to themselves and seeing completely different results, it sent me on a completely different mission, and ultimately I had to die to this whole other community that was like the plant-based community and be like, you know what, it's not that simple, it's a different story, it's a different story than this food is good, this food is bad. It's a story of deeper separation. I think it has something to do with you know, this conventional farming and the herbicides and pesticides we're then studying in my laboratory by the time we're starting to reveal something about what the heart of darkness does to affirm itself. And, and what it does is it creates technologies that further cut off information because the darkness doesn't really want to be seen. And so we've invented phenomenal technologies over time to cut the light between the cells so that we stay deeper in the darkness so nothing can be seen. Alcohol has been doing this since the beginning of time, really. We've been fermenting alcohol since the beginning of human time. And alcohol cuts the fiber optic cables between human cells so that light can't passage between two cells. Why do you drink alcohol? Why do I drink alcohol, which I do? It's because sometimes I can't tolerate the darkness within me. And sometimes I drink it because I'm so happy and I feel so much light that I'm afraid the light's going to see the darkness. And so I drink in celebration, afraid that the light might see the darkness and therefore put out my celebratory feelings. We be, isn't that weird that we use the same substance when we're really depressed and really bummed and then when we're really super happy we get out the same damn substance and we drink it again? It's a very strange pattern. 
It's because we cannot tolerate the darkness and we are afraid the light might shine. And so we've created this technology of alcohol to dim our light. But it wasn't enough because we kept shining brighter. And more truth was coming to bear. And by the 1970s, we were in this massive transition, the awakening of humanity, the dawning of you know, the, the whole Aquarius thing and everything else. This, my parents were caught up in it. They were raised in very conventional, deep World War II kind of mentality. My, my father was going to St. Albans, which is like the prep school of Washington, D.C. for senators and everything else. Uh, the Bush family had long been in politics for 400 years in this country of the United States. And so he was being groomed for that path as was his three siblings all going to St. Albans, which occurs amazingly and almost ironically our, our cream of the crop of, of our kind of glitterazzi and, and those that would be prepped to, to rule the free world as we were told in the United States have their school in the National Cathedral of the United States, which is a spectacular building, certainly one of the very few spectacular buildings in the United States. And it is based on deep European you know, wisdoms that came from the stone workers that discovered the power and capacity of flying buttresses to create spectacular hanging ceilings of stone. My father grew up in this place and uh, as a boy, he was in the boys' choir of the National Cathedral. And this National Cathedral, like many that were built in, in this continent, had these tiny little uh, passageways that were vertically built into the walls of the cathedral that had vertical ladders that would go 20, 40, 60 feet up into the ceiling systems of the cathedral. And they were so small that boys under the age of eight were the only ones that could really fit in there. And so they would fit in these little tunnels and they'd climb up the ladders and then they would come out at the top and these little perches that were shaped as little, little cones that would shoot the sound of their voice out across the cathedral from the ceilings. So my, my dad would climb up these ladders and he would sing his little boy's voice into the, the space. And again, it's a story of the light trying to penetrate Washington, D.C., which I think has been called to hold the darkest of the heart of humanity. The United States has been willing in its journey towards the belief that the individual is more important than the whole and everything. It's that rugged individualism of the United States that's made it what it was so fast. It became what it was so quickly, out of nothing into a magnificent, you know, strolling empire of colonialism and extraction and wealth. But it did it through creativity, like brutally brilliant creativity. And there's a lot of companies that have gone international with their, their whole workforces and everything else, but creative teams again and again uh, will come back and, and, and tap into that energy of the United States because there's something raw about that belief that I am more important than anything else. And the reason I'm here is for myself to rise as high and fast as I can. And I will employ all manner of creativity and engineering, whatever it takes to get my career to catapult higher than anything else because I am important. And so it sounds like this egoic, broken thing, and it can certainly be that but also is some sort of divine state of the importance of the individual. But that importance of the individual disconnected from the greater whole becomes the darkest of the darkest heart of darknesses there. 
And so I believe that Washington, D.C., this place that my family comes from, has been designed specifically for the transmutation to occur. And so the cathedral is there. Today, young boys are singing into the heart of darkness in the National Cathedral. And those that are sitting in that cathedral are the future leaders of that the whole nation. And then the city itself was designed on the ley lines, just as London was, just as this, you know, anything built on this island. Every chapel was definitely, you know, doused for the ley lines and the power. Find the vortices, find the, the power channels, put the, put the cathedral there, put the church there, put the navy base on one of those. And so our military and our churches have consistently been able to identify the ways that the power moves on this planet and align themselves with that to magnify the maximum amount of power for whatever they're building. And so this is happening on this planet for thousands of years, architecture aligning with geology to geography to, to start us into this possibility of complete transmutation of the darkness. The biggest tragedy I have in my life is not being able to express love. I can feel it so deep at moments because I can see so much beauty. And I've been given a lot of tools and blessings of education and, and resources in that education to look deep, deep into beauty. I can, our laboratory is just almost a psychotic place to be because you can't stand what is seen in there. Because if that is true, what's under a microscope, then how do I possibly worry about the things I worry about? If a cell is really capable of that level of engineering and architecture at levels that are literally invisible to the eye, how can humans behave like they do? And it's a deep heartbreak. Because if I can see that much beauty, then I am vibrating with that much love for what's inside of you. And that how you were knit together is so miraculous and so majestic that it really defies anything I could ever tell you. And I spent a lot of time trying to tell you how beautiful it is and how beautiful you are. And that's been a lot of my last 10 years. For all of that, I can tell you that this knot in my stomach right now is because you guys are all going to walk out of here tonight not knowing how much I really feel for you and how much I feel for myself and how much I feel for our, the situation we're in. It is so exquisitely designed. There is not a freaking atom out of place. And I can know that, you can know that, and we're all gonna walk out of here on some level being afraid to be loved, be afraid to be seen, be afraid to love everybody we see be afraid to communicate that love to everybody. It's so frustrating because it's, it would be so magnificent to live in a community that could communicate that. Certainly to have the space in the community to see it, but then to be able to say that to one another. At this point, I'm giving up on language. Like, we've got to go back to the hugs again, I guess. Like, <laughs> this is the only way we are going to make it through, is stop trying to explain it to each other and start being it. Farmer's Footprint is a redreaming 
of humanity beginning at our soil. And the soil is a description of a relationship of everything. That's all soil is. It is a place in which the maximum number of relationships occurs. And I mentioned earlier that the human colon has the most biodiverse soil system in the all of creation on this planet. You can go to other mammals, blue whales, elephants, whatever, and their colons do not hold the biodiversity that yours does. And we now know that the human brain is a neurologic system designed to listen directly to the biodiversity within your gut. We recently discovered at the University of, of San Francisco that the intestinal uh, neurons that line your gut, there's, there's hundreds of billions of these neurons that line the gut and we used to think that maybe it was motility of the gut, but there was just too many of them to just be motor neurons. And it turns out they are afferent neurons. Afferent nerves do not send messages, they only listen. So this is your listening device. There's afferent nerves that send messages out, and there's afferent nerves that bring in information to the central processing unit that's your brain. Hundreds of billions of afferent nerves are in your intestinal lining. And we used to think that the intestinal lining was the holy of holies. This was the, the, the veil in the temple of being human, that if that tore, then life ends. You'd become infected. You'd have sepsis. The whole thing would break down. This is still being taught in every medical school in the world. But the neurobiology is defying that because it's showing that the brain has sent emissaries out from it these afferent nerves to go listen to the entire community. And these nerves pierce the wall of the gut lining to stick their snouts out into the massive shit inside of your colon. And we are now watching science start to decode this specific bacteria when it sits on a nerve or one of the enteric endocrine cells, which are really cool as well. I should tell you about half the story. So you have your brain listening through afferent nerves and then you have at least 10 to 20% of all of the hundreds of billions of, of epithelial lining cells that make up your, your gut lining are enteric endocrine cells. And those enteric endocrine cells are listening hormonally to the microbiome. And so what can't be communicated through neurology is communicated through hormonal transmission. And we're now finding that there are specific species that can touch an enteric endocrine cell and end depression in the being that's manifesting this greater intelligence. And when that bacteria ceases to exist in the soil, that being has to become depressed. And so there's this extraordinarily exquisite dance happening between the soil within you and what comes macro out of you. And so nature has been striving for four billion years on this planet to create more and more biodiversity. It's her only goal. Biology's only goal is to create more biodiversity that can connect. And so it created mycelial networks to create massive networks of connection to billions and billions of species. And over time, it took about a billion years to move from mycelial networks, which are not multicellular organisms, which is really interesting, as huge as they can be, covered you know, kilometers of space. That mycelial network are single cells that line up in what are called pseudohyphae to become what looks like single long root systems of fiber optic cables and etc. But it's not actually a single organism. It's trillions of, of single cells that have decided to become 
one design. But it's not a single body, it's different. And so the, the innovation from a multi multicellular cooperation that would make the mycelial network, which created the intelligence of the soil systems around us, there was a billion years and then suddenly there was an innovation of energy. And that innovation of energy came when two bacteria collaborated to create something called respiratory energy production. This is when we went shifted from fermentation as the only way to, cr to release energy from carbohydrates and fats to the ability to use respiratory cycle to accelerate that release of sunlight from carbohydrates and fats. The respiratory cycle inside those two bacteria, which are called a mitochondria, that mitochondria is about 10 to 20 times better than fermentation to create energy, to release the, the sunlight between carbon bonds. And so this innovation of creating more sunlight per cubic centimeter in living life forms suddenly leapt from the ability to make mycelium, which was a cooperative thing, to a single organism that could, from a single DNA strand, become 70 trillion cells that have now subspecialized to create completely different structures, functions, cooperative environments. And suddenly there's a kidney, and there's a spleen, and there's a pancreas, there's a prostate, there's a lung, there's a brain. All of that came out of one cell because there was enough energy to be more creative with the amount of information coming into that cubic centimeter of space. Your cell phone is demonstrating this phenomenon all the time. The CPU chip gets twice as fast every two years. That's been the speed of innovation, the speed of information processing. The information processing unit is your central processing unit in the computer or your cell phone. It takes more and more energy to, to allow that processor to function at its maximum speed. And so it's the combination of a neurologic system that can listen to more information all the time and press that into a single CPU chip that demands more and more energy for a single multicellular organism to actually occur. So the first nematodes, then the first earthworms, then the first you know, <coughs> reptiles, and then the first mammals, and et cetera, et cetera. What, we're, what you're watching in that, that translation of life is more and more energy being released per cubic centimeter, giving access to more and more information receiving and processing in single neurologic systems, and that relate that ends up being our, you know, experience, if you will, of intelligence.